This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good late afternoon and early evening, dear listeners. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Afternoon Show with Maud. It is 5 p.m. on Sunday, the 29th of October, and you can join me using the chat function. We can discuss today's topic, which is Halloween special, paranormal events in schools. Welcome. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good early evening, dear listeners. The days are getting shorter, darkness is coming earlier. This is the time for spooky stories. This is my 52nd radio show as your hostess, and I'm delighted to share this experience in your company. But first, I have to introduce myself for any new potential listeners. I am a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have been living in the UK since 2008 and I am a professional educator. I work in the secondary state school in North London where I teach languages. I have also experience as a French teacher in the charity sector. You can follow me on X Twitter at prof prof mfl. All views are my own. So today I would like to focus on a topic that is really exciting and fascinating to me as a person, but also as an educator. And the podcast will be on the topic of Halloween, Halloween special with paranormal events in schools. This is mostly relevant to teachers and people who work in schools, people with an interest in paranormal stories people who enjoy Halloween, people interested in history, and the curious and well-informed. So, Halloween special. First, we need to talk about what do we mean by paranormal? Because usually when we talk about the paranormal, we have an image of a horror movie coming and some very quirky might be gullible people like witches and ghost stories. So let's look back at the word paranormal. So paranormal event means a phenomena or an event which is beyond the scope of normal scientific understanding. So it means that a paranormal event, before we understood that there were microbes with a microscope might have been the way people uh, transmit diseases by touch. Also, a paranormal event might have been for people who didn't understand uh, what an eclipse was. So the paranormal event is the event that we haven't explained yet, which means that depending on when we are alive in time or in the history of mankind, something that is basic for us Maybe, for instance, um, the way electricity works or the way blood circulation works might have been a paranormal event at one stage, unexplained, misunderstood, 
and scary by definition. So anything that is not paranormal is something that we have explained scientifically and something that we haven't yet explained scientifically can be described as being paranormal. Obviously, when we think of paranormal in everyday life, everyday life, we usually think about phenomena such as telekinesis or clairvoyance or things that are impossible, things that are the belief for some very gullible people, etc., etc. But anything that is unexplained scientifically can be described as paranormal. So, First, I would like to talk about what's going to happen in a few couple of days, and that is Halloween. You might not be familiar with um, the origins of Halloween, but everybody knows that every year on the 31st of October, um, children, usually in Western uh, societies such as Canada, America, and now more, um, more than ever in the UK, Ireland, and also on the continent of Europe, they start walking around wearing costumes, knocking on doors and asking for treats. They don't do tricks anymore. We're trying to stay away from tricks, but usually it's a, it's a party or an event that is very meaningful for children and the obviously uh, the best thing for a sugar making company because it's about selling sweets. So children celebrate Halloween by decorating pumpkins and also going from door to door to ask for sweets. Now, this is the modern way of celebrating Halloween, but Halloween is a much older tradition. It might also be defined as a prehistoric tradition. There were celebrations around the time of the 31st of October before the humans even had invented writing. So you can picture yourself as far back as um, during the Stonehenge building times, which is 2,500 years before Christ. And you might have some Celts people who were celebrating the change of season because it's a very special night and it used to be on the 1st of November and that was the Semaine um, event. It was a celebration of the end of summer and of the beginning of the cold and dark season. And the only way to celebrate was to either meet up with friends and family and usually putting big logs and big pieces of woods and setting fire to them. So it was a little bit of a festival of light. Big fires were lit and people were partying and maybe having religious celebrations as well. Now, Halloween as we know it now comes from Ireland. It is an Irish tradition. And because so many Irish people migrated to the States, it became symbolic to American culture. But it is an Irish tradition. Halloween comes from All Hallows' Eve, which signifies the day before uh, the Days of the Saints. And in Ireland, people would keep their front doors open, have a raging fire in the fireplace, and they believed that that night, the ones who had departed, the people who had died, could come to earth and visit their loved ones. So they usually made sure there was enough food for all the living and a little bit of spare food for the dead. 
The traditional dishes were kalkanen, which is uh, mashed potatoes with uh, cabbage, and bambrak, which is a fruit, a dried fruit, um, tea-flavored cake. Traditional games didn't didn't involve costume wearing or making tricks, but um, the traditional bucket full of water with some apples, and your job was to try to grab the apple in your mouth with your teeth. So traditional little children games, really. Obviously, I mentioned that the belief is, originally in Ireland, that the the dead could come and visit the living on the night of Halloween. So from this, a whole plethora of magical creatures and phenomena has been used to illustrate Halloween. So you're familiar with ghosts and skeletons and witches, etc. But these are more recent because originally it was pretty much a celebration of seasons and the fact that we were entering the colder months. So obviously it's a Northern Hemisphere party or celebration, I should say. Now, the origin of the pumpkin. Well, it wasn't a pumpkin in the old days in Ireland. It was something that didn't grow in Ireland because pumpkins are a new world vegetable. You have to wait until people settled in North America to uh, realize that native tribes used pumpkins and grew pumpkins. So before pumpkins in Ireland, it was turnips that people used to carve. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to carve a turnip, but it's much more difficult than carving a pumpkin. Carving a pumpkin causes accidents every year. There's lots of people who end up in emergency because they obviously... Um, they had a bit of a problem with their knife while carving the pumpkin, but carving a turnip implies way more skills because it's much harder in consistency. So, a carved turnip comes from the tradition, born in Ireland, of a certain Jack. And Jack is said to have sold his soul to the devil. Never a good idea, that. So, obviously, because he sold his soul, He was punished and cursed, and he was condemned to wander amongst um, the living. And every uh, Halloween, he would be able to come out with his turnip, with a little piece of amber lighting the turnip, and he would be walking around with um, his sort of homemade lantern. So this is what the jack-o'-lantern tradition Um, This is its story. Someone who made a very bad deal with um, the devil. So obviously, when the Irish settled in North America, they realized that carving turnips was way too hard and carving pumpkins was easier. So they started, and um, if you can carve your own pumpkin, make sure you buy an edible culinary pumpkin so that you can make pumpkin soup. It's really easy. And it's delicious. And then you don't you don't waste the food. You can even keep the pumpkin seeds, dry them, and then put some olive oil and roast them in the oven. So carving is great, but also keep the flesh of the pumpkin to make some lovely soup. And the recipe is simple. You fry some onions or and garlic. You add the flesh of the pumpkin 
a little bit of red or white wine to, to taste, some salt and pepper, and then you puree it once it's cooked. And that's homemade pumpkin soup. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. So nowadays, you will have to buy some sweets and uh, you will be... Um, bothered a little bit in the evening because children will ring your doorbell. If you do not want children to come and ask for sweets, just make sure all your lights are switched off and don't put decoration outside. The rule is usually if you have decoration outside, if you have a pumpkin on your front door or porch, you're happy for children to knock on your door and ask for sweets. There's plenty of games to do for entertaining children, plenty of decoration, but what is the point of Halloween is that it is a celebration of darkness, of the cold, of the end of summer. So there is a little bit of apprehension. If you put yourself in the um, leather shoes of a prehistoric person or a Celtic person, you might understand how scary winter must have been. You know, winter is coming, to quote George R. R. Martin. Winter was a time when you couldn't always uh, find enough food and there was very often episodes of famine in uh, the end of winter and early spring. So when you started winter, you never knew if you would have your whole family at the end of winter. So it was a scary time. It's much harder to feed a family in winter, particularly when it snows and when the climate is um, a bit extreme. So definitely winter was a scary time. So this is the origins of Halloween. Now let's go into paranormal events in our times. There has been lots of very famous podcasts and shows over the years about the paranormal. And since lockdown, it became trendy again. You might be familiar with some BBC shows that you can um, watch or listen to. There is the Uncanny podcast, there's many others, there's the Frightened Kingdom podcast, there's the Paranormal Histories or Paranormal Experience podcast. There is a plethora of podcasts dealing with the paranormal. Some might be a little bit extreme. Some are trying to bring a little bit of scientific um, analysis to it. Some are downright very, very um, subjective. <laughs> but what 
it shows is that people love ghost stories. People love stories about the paranormal. And you will always entertain your friends if you have some stories. Now, if you are into visiting locations that are being famous for paranormal activities, you will find loads in the UK, even more so if you're in Scotland. But in the UK, I looked at how many locations are uh, supposedly haunted and have a school. Um, it's a school site. So there is an example of one school, and I'm going to quote its name. It's the George Jarvis School. That's in Staunton on Wye in Herefordshire. And uh, you, can, you can go and visit it. It's got lots of events planned. There is also Halloween special events there. So what is the story of the George Jarvis School? It's a Victorian mansion, so you can picture it. Red bricks, Gothic style very um lots of nooks and crannies many many rooms some small and awkwardly built just a grand victorian building so it's a haunted building very classic in a classic in its appearance it's set in um it's a gothic grade 2 listed school so it is obviously architecturally very interesting to see and it was built in the 1850s um it became a school quite quickly afterwards, and it was um, it was funded by the late George Jarvis. But he donated his money when he died. But he didn't want his money to be used for um, a school, and he quoted it in his will. And he said, "My mind and will is that none of the said monies should be appropriated in erecting any public buildings whatsoever." He wanted his money to be given to the poor. Sadly, uh, for some reason, his ancestors didn't follow his wishes. So this is always a bad start <laughs> for a building when the person who finances it um, is quite adamant that this should not be used for that purpose. Anyway, the school opened its doors in 1862, and then it was operational until 2010. So it's got a very, very long history. It is now bought by a group of people who organize events. Now, what's special about this school is that it has been used by many, many people, and some had difficult lives and sometimes tragic deaths on the premises. It, it was also used as um, by, by the American army at one point. So you can see that there was many nationalities involved. The building changed its use in the 1980s. It became a youth hostel. So I guess more young people coming and maybe more fun than, it, than in its Victorian um, poor orphanage sort of um, time. But what we are, um, what is famous about the George Jarvis School is that it has ghostly apparitions, poltergeist activity, and strange occurrences. So if you want to test it out, if you're an educator and you would like to visit a haunted school, this is the George Jarvis School in Herefordshire. There is lots of testimonies about experiences that people have encountered in its building. Someone said, great night, great company, great hosts, some of the best table tipping I've done. 
uh, I assume it's a technique to get in touch with um, ghosts. Um, walking upstairs and playing football, doors were slamming. We heard voices and whistles and taps running. Last night was very active. So this is classic ghost story territory here. You also have another um, testimony from Lucy B. She says it was an absolutely amazing evening to visit George Jarvis School and there were shadow figures in the location. So another uh, classic uh, apparition in paranormal context, the shadow figure. And then we have Sarah's testimony. She says she loved it was absolutely fantastic activity paranormal activity was non-stop there were lights going on and off footsteps banging etc so you can see that the paranormal enthusiasm is still live and kicking in the uk and if you want to have a fun evening for halloween you can also visit a victorian school now let's look at the way paranormal events are described there is a list, a non-exhaustive list of unexplained paranormal events. So the ones you might have experienced are a feeling of déjà vu. Déjà vu is when you go to a place you've never been to, you meet someone you've never met before, and yet you have a very strong feeling that you have been there or already and you've met that person already and this is something that you've already experienced. So this is a French expression, déjà vu, and it translates as already seen. Obviously, it's not just going back to a place that you've been before. It's when you have, you're sure you've never been there before. In the same sort of paranormal phenomena, you have intuition. So you might have had a strong intuition or gut feeling, or you might not, but this is one of the unexplained by science phenomena that is considered paranormal. Premonition, for instance, when you have a dream that someone you love dearly is in danger and that in the days following you realize that this premonition was accurate and you lost a family member. To that you can add out-of-body experience when people go through surgery, for instance, and they can describe how their soul or their mind went and left their body and they can even describe what was on top of a cupboard even though they were asleep and under general anesthetics when that happened. You have NDE which means near-death experience and it's been studied recently. There is a lot of common patterns to uh, people who experience NDE. This is when you are technically medically dead, but then the medical team manages to bring you back. And then you usually share very specific experiences. You have the old school 1950s UFO, unexplained flying object, and the Hawthorne effect. So the Hawthorne effect occurs when people are behaving differently because they know they are being watched. So I'll give you an example. You are um, you are in a, in a building and then you start feeling that you're being observed or seen. And then you turn and you realize there's a camera. So we can't explain this scientifically yet, um, but it is a, a very strong feeling. And some people 
experience it more often than others. Uh, if you're trained, if you work in the army, or if you're a hunter, or if you're someone who is outdoors a lot, you might be very sensitive to um, the feeling of being observed. Now, this is a list of obviously ordinary, I should say, not, I mean, NDE, near-death experiences, not ordinary, but it has been um, described often, intuitions and premonitions. I'm sure if you ask around, you're going to have lots of family members who have experienced it. But these are, I would say, the most personal and subjective uh, paranormal events that you can encounter. And then we go into the Halloween-y vibe and <laughs> the list of commonly known paranormal events. And to me, it sounds more like a, a whole repertoire or a novel catalog of Stephen King's novels, basically. So I'll give you examples. Paranormal events could be ghost apparition, poltergeist, when things are moved or uh, you, you have a feeling that you're touched or pushed by something that is not there. You can have possession, exorcism as a consequence, everything related to witchcraft, telepathic communication, telekinesis, when your mind can move objects. I'm just talking about what the word means, by the way. I'm not implying that it is real or happening. You have also people mentioning shadow figure, and it's usually in their peripheral vision, never straight in front of them, but usually to the sides. And then you have something that's fascinating on the quantum physics <laughs> um, context, and it is time slips or laps. So a time slip or a time glitch is a very commonly reported phenomenon in the paranormal world. Um, basically, it depends on the holographic universe theory or, or parallel universe or multiverse theory. So it's the idea of synchronicity um, that you can be in a street in 2023 and suddenly you are experiencing the street but in a completely different era at a different time. And it's got nothing to do with déjà vu and it's um, it's something that has been described a few times by people who were, for instance, in uh, on Leicester Square or in central London going to buy a CD, so likely in the 80s or 90s, and then they stepped out of the shop and they were in um, a different time. Still in London, still in central London, but in a different time, maybe the 30s or the 1890s or any other era. Then you have even more obscure paranormal events, such as the stone tape effect. So the stone tape effect is a paranormal theory where people believe that very strong emotions, very traumatic events have imprinted and have been projected onto buildings or objects like a form of energy that leaves um, a trace. And then this, uh, it's, it's acting like a, a recorder, and then the same event is being played again and again, replayed at, under certain con conditions. So this is the stone tape effect. And also you have residual haunting, where um, you can hear just one 
episode that is repeated many, many times or hear or experience. And then you have also the idea of a portal that leads you to another dimension. So that's basically Narnia and the wardrobe. So you can see that a lot of paranormal events, you're familiar with it because of literature and movies. Uh, Narnia, I mentioned, any book written by Stephen King and of obviously the films that were adapted from his books. And if you like horror movies, a whole list of paranormal um, events appears in horror movies or in literature. So you can see that it inspires a lot of artists. This is something that excites people and that has that is almost universal because everybody usually has a culture where there is the idea of ghosts or spirits or apparition or premonition. And this is what's fascinating about this. Now, as I said, these paranormal events are unexplained scientifically, yet they might be explained in the coming decades. But so far, if it's not explained by science, it deserves to be called paranormal. Now, I talked about NDE, and um, this is something that is really exciting, so I'm just going to dive into that for a minute. Uh, Profound personal experience, near-death experience is when you're clinically or medically dead, and then due to science and the the advances of medical uh, science, the person can be brought to life. So these are usually... Uh, studied by scientists, and the people who've experienced it describe feelings of having their body separating, their soul separating from their body, a feeling of levitation, a feeling of serenity, security, warmth, joy. A lot of them describe a blazing, flashing white light, and some have experienced their major life events. They can see or feel uh, dead relatives around them. So it's usually quite a positive experience. NDE is a reversible clinical death. So the body is uh, still warm and uh, there might not be much organ uh, function, but it's still possible to um, reinstate the breathing and the cardiac functions. So neuroscience is really trying to define what this clinical death experience is, and they describe it as a multisensory integration that occurs when this happens. But obviously, we can't explain why some people experience near death, and we can't explain why some can can come back from that stage and others can't. But it's a fascinating study. Uh, in the US only, there is 9 million people experience a near-death experience. And there was a study in 2001 called uh, Annals of the New York Academy of Science. It was in the, the Annals of the New York, New York Academy of Science. And they said that um, most of these near-death experiences resulted from serious injury affecting the body or the brain. So not something you would like to experience ever. Um, It is a life or death situation, isn't it? Now, uh, we're going to listen to the news and then we'll be back to talk about another very uh, modern paranormal event, and that is UFOs.
Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A record number of students from disadvantaged backgrounds have applied for the most selective UK university degrees, says a report on the BBC News website. The report is based on data released by the Universities and Colleges Admissions Service, known as UCAS. The students have applied to Oxford and Cambridge and for degrees in medicine, dentistry and veterinary science. UCAS Interim Chief Executive Sander Crystal described the applications, which have an October deadline, as encouraging. The Sutton Trust charity, however, said that the advantage gap had hardly shifted. The data is based on a participation of local areas measure, which splits students into five groups based on how many people aged 18 and 19 in their area go on to higher education. Those from areas where the fewest numbers of young people go to university are classed as the most disadvantaged. Applications for this group are up by 7% since last year, in contrast to the most advantaged areas, which is up by only 2%. However, the total number of applicants from the most advantaged areas is over 17,000, compared to a little over 3,000 from the most disadvantaged areas. Other key findings from October applications include a 6% increase in the number of UK applicants receiving free school meals, although the overall numbers of those receiving free meals is on the rise. A drop of 7% a year in 18-year-olds applying to medicine degrees and a slight drop in total numbers of international applicants. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan was in the news again this week as she told English schools that parents have a right to view the sex education materials which are being taught in schools. The announcement comes as the government is due to launch a public consultation into relationships, sex and health education. Guidance has been in place since the subject became compulsory in primary and secondary schools in September 2020. But Miss Keegan said she wanted to debunk the myth that parents cannot see what their children are being taught. Jeff Barton of Askell said he agreed with transparency on RSHE materials and that this is key but that sending the letter when some schools were on half term was slightly odd. The BBC also reports that Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, 
has been accused of misleading the public about the risks of social media and of contributing to a mental health crisis amongst youth. The claims were made in a federal lawsuit in the United States, but many in other countries will be following with interest. The lawsuit accuses the company of ensnaring users whilst concealing the substantial dangers of its platforms. It also said that the company had collected data on children under the age of 13 and that this breached the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Meta is contesting the lawsuit and will likely present research it says shows that teens say social media actually helps them when they are struggling. It's not the first time social media companies have faced lawsuits, but it is the first time so many attorneys general, 33 in total, have signed such a suit. In addition to those already filed by families, young people and school districts. Those working with children and young people in the UK will undoubtedly be interested in the progress of the lawsuit. Dyslexia Scotland has announced on its website that former Strictly Come Dancing winner and Dyslexia Scotland ambassador Hamza Yassin will talk to an audience as part of Dyslexia Awareness Week Scotland. Yassin, who is dyslexic, became an ambassador for the charity earlier this year. He says he is passionate about sharing his story during events held in the first week in November. In a week where The Guardian reports that more than one million UK children experienced destitution last year, meaning their families could not adequately feed, clothe, clean or keep them warm, the BBC covered a story of a primary school in Peckham where most children are homeless. The school has nearly 300 pupils, all of whom receive free uniform, trips and meals. The school conducted a survey in which most families described themselves as living in non-secure tenancies. This can mean sofa surfing with friends, living in B&B accommodation or living in hostels. Parents of children at the school spoke positively about the support they received from the school, but also focused on the toll the uncertainty took on them and their children. Meanwhile, The Guardian tells of concerns expressed by poverty campaigners, teachers and welfare workers about the damaging effects of destitution, including physical ill health, mental illness, school absence and poor behaviour. Both articles can be found online and give more details on the latest findings. Finally, Schools Week reports that as many as one in 10 school workers had to wait over 60 days for DBS checks last year. A Freedom of Information request showed that 2.5% of those submitted took more than 60 days to complete, more than triple the rate in 2021 to 22. Jeff Barton of Askell says it all adds to the pressure that school leaders and teachers face in recruitment and reflects the widespread underinvestment in public services. A spokesperson for the DBS said neither Ofsted nor the DFE have raised any concerns about delays. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Thank you for listening to the news, dear listeners. So, as I was um, mentioning, this is now about UFOs. So, UFOs mean unidentified flying object. Now, as I explained, they are paranormal because we haven't yet explained what they were. The most recent case that has been described by the Pentagon, so the US Army headquarters, they released it in 2021. It was in the news and it was published in the New York Times by Alan Uhas in an article. 
Um, so it, it was first published in April 2020. So in the middle of the lockdown um, and the global pandemic. So it didn't gather the same media space it would have uh, had if we hadn't been in a global pandemic. But then it was updated again in 2021. Anyway, the Department of Def Defense in America has had released three Navy videos that contained unidentified aerial phenomena. It was very serious and very clearly documented by the US Army. These videos were old. They had been sitting on them for a long time, not wanting to share them. And I think it's kind of interesting to see that they waited till we were all obsessed with the global pandemic before they released these footage. So the footage was recorded in 2004, 2015, and it was the first one in the Pacific Ocean and the other one in the East Coast near the US. And these videos were filmed by naval aviators, so professional army men, and they were unexplained as yet. So technically, we have uh, prov proven evidence that there is such a thing as unidentified flying objects, according to the Pentagon. We still don't know what it was. We can't explain it. And that's the beauty of paranormal events. Even it, when we have an evidence, a piece of evidence, such as Navy and Army footage, we still don't know enough to be able to have an answer. So the question is, most of the time, we do not believe people who relate paranormal events. Sometimes we accuse them of having a mental illness, and sometimes we, we, we accuse them of lying. Yet, many people still believe in the paranormal. So what is the science behind this? So according to Debord and Biermann, two researchers, they wrote an article, they're quoting an article written by um, Mr. Radin, Creative or Defective, in 2005. And many academics are saying that there is usually a certain type of personality who is keen on believing in the paranormal. And they make a list of categories of people, or they're labeling people who are more likely to believe in the paranormal. So they say that sometimes people who are uneducated, people who have deficiencies or de deprivation. So what do they mean by that? It's three hypotheses. Ignorance, deprivation, or deficiency. The ignorance one is easy to explain if you have not gone to school and if you live in a country where you have no access to culture, libraries, books, etc., or the internet, you are less educated. And this is one of the factors they believe that makes belief in the paranormal more um, common. The other factor is deprivation. And this is when, for instance, uh, someone has had, um, they, they started to believe in the paranormal because they suffered from very deep trauma as a child and it was a coping mechanism. So external physical stressors lead to psychological difficulties and then a belief in the paranormal develops. And the last hypothesis after ignorance and deprivation is the deficiency hypothesis. So the deficiency is related to people who suffer from um, psychosis, paranoia, and are having a severe mental health uh, issue. 
it can be um, schizophrenia, etc. So these three hypotheses might explain why some people have a very strong belief in the paranormal. There is also other factors that come into why people do believe in the paranormal. There's gender, race, ethnicity, and also location. For instance, the Society for Psychical Research, which was a psychological study, asked 174 people to do a task, a reasoning and deductive task. And they noticed that the people who did the task, who usually have a very strong belief in the paranormal, made more errors and displayed more tendency to have delusional ideation than other members of the study who were more skeptical individuals. So if you have a tendency to make errors in your judgment and to have delusional ideation, you're more likely to believe in the paranormal. The research also said that men are usually more more um, likely to believe in uh, unidentified flying objects, whereas women are more likely to believe in ghosts. So a different type of paranormal def- event def- depending on a different gender. Um, there is also, as I said, exposure to stress. Children who have um, suffered from childhood sexual abuse are more likely to have a belief in paranormal in a paranormal. Um, It was a sample population of 502 adults, and there was a correlation between those who suffered from severe childhood trauma and sexual abuse, because it leads to dissociative um, psychological symptoms, sometimes personality disorders. And this enhances the belief in the paranormal. Uh, in America, some studies said that women have a higher score of in a paranormal belief. Also, African Americans are said to have a higher belief in witchcraft than other ethnic groups, for I presume uh, cultural reasons. In um, European people, there's a higher belief in UFOs in men, as I said, and goes for women, whereas in Chinese, Indian, and Malay students, uh, Indian and Malay students were more likely to believe in spirits, whereas Chinese students had a higher level of skepticism. So you can see it's really interesting how race, ethnicity, location, gender, and also childhood trauma affects your ability to believe in the paranormal or to not believe in the paranormal. And as I said, uh, schizophrenic patients have a much higher belief in the paranormal than um, the rest of the population. There might be a scientific explanation about belief in the paranormal because there's patterns in our brains. So scientists have connected high dopamine levels with a high score in paranormal belief. So this is just the start of the study of why people believe in the paranormal, but I think it's absolutely fascinating. So as I said earlier, um, the paranormal is something that is universal. Every culture, every ethnicity has some sort of paranormal beliefs. Obviously, um, it depends on the level of education and usually it should 
be likely to reduce that belief in the paranormal, the more educated the population is. But we can see recently, since um, COVID happened, that in time of crisis, people who spend a lot of time indoors, particularly during a lockdown, were more likely to start experimenting paranormal events. So were they just more stressed and then more anxious? We don't know, but it's really interesting to see that if you go all around the world, you will find paranormal descriptions of events in all cultures. So let's go on the merry round um, of paranormal school events. First, let's fly to Tokyo, which is the capital of Japan. So there is one very interesting um, situation that happened in the 90s. So there was a school teacher who was called Toru Tsunemitsu, and he started working on creative writing with his students. And he asked his students to tell him stories but ghost stories in particular, and those set in their local town. And when the students came with their homework, he looked at it and he noticed something very interesting, uh, Toru Tsunemitsu. He noticed that a lot of these ghost stories happened in a school building. So was it a particular Tokyo Japanese event or tradition or was it an urban legend? So he started to really focus on this and he asked his student and the more he asked them, the more stories he got. And he got approximately 160 stories about ghosts in school buildings in two weeks. Um, so this first shows that if you have uh, problems motivating your students to write stories, you might want to give them an assignment on ghost stories and that might get their creative juices going. But again, Toru Tsunemitsu was so fascinated by this that he started writing and collecting these stories and he published them five years later in 1990 under the title Gako no Kaidan. And uh, all these stories are written for children, so they are not that scary. I mean, they are scary, but not, not terrible. And they were published uh, and became very popular in Japan. And then they were made, obviously, as a movie. And it was a six-episode miniseries published in 1994. And the school ghost story film was made in 1995. So it's really interesting because... He started with just a school project and it became a series and then a book. And now he's still working on this, Toru Tsunamitsu. He's, um, he was born in um, 1948, so he's um, in his late 70s, early 80s. And now he's a university lecturer and he really has focused on this since he's uh, become the 28th president of the Japanese Folklore Society. And it seems like this project really influenced his whole career. Now let's fly again and go to Arizona. So we cross the Pacific Ocean from Tokyo to Arizona. And the town is Kingman. So in Kingman, Arizona, we have a completely different setup. It's not a teacher giving a school project. It's people noticing strange events in their school. In 2013, uh, it was the head teacher 
we call them principals in America. It was the Lee Williams High School in Kingman, Arizona. So Steve Elwood is the principal. And he was uh, interviewed by the Los Angeles Times because there has been so many, there had been so many ghost stories about the school that it got journalists interested. And um, there was obviously the idea of urban legends. People believed that the campus was haunted because they kept seeing women in antique clothing walking on the prairie fields around the school buildings. And men as well in uh, 19th century uh, clothing who were pictured while attending graduation events. So was it people in costume or was it apparition? Anyway, it got the Los Angeles Times involved. There was obviously the traditional phenomena of flickering lights, phantom footsteps, alarms that go on and off for no reason, uh, people dressed in weird clothes appearing in corridors and then disappearing, etc. Children laughing in the night when there's no children in the building. So in the end, they did some research and Lee Williams High School was built on a field that used to be a pioneer cemetery. And in 2013, they did a construction on the new school building and they uncovered 11 graves and seven coffins. So was it just urban legend? Anyway, there was a cemetery in the school buildings. So I don't know about you, but even the janitor and usually janitors know what goes on in their building. He said he could always hear footsteps in the bathroom at night, and he was trying not to check the bathrooms at night as a consequence. I don't blame him. Now, let's cross the Atlantic Ocean from Arizona to Ireland. And as I said earlier, Ireland is the birthplace of Halloween. So it's not surprising that there is a school in Cork and I'm not going to butcher the Irish name. I'll just tell you that it's near Cork. And this school, it's called Deer Park CBS. And this is a fascinating case because there is video footage. And I will put it in the comments on the podcast. You can go on YouTube and watch it. So 2017, Deer Park CBS school, there are surveillance cameras in the corridors. And the deputy of the school is watching it. He can't believe what he sees, so he sends it to the principal, Kevin Barry. And they both can't explain what happened. And if you watch the video, it's a very mundane, ordinary view of a school corridors. You have two chairs on the left, you have lockers, and you have two abandoned sports bags on top of the lockers. You watch it for approximately a minute and a half, and suddenly the bag that was on top of the locker is pushed off the lockers and flies down in the middle of the corridor, and you see the two chairs moving a lot, not just a tiny bit, a lot. And there's no one in the corridors, and there was no one inside the school. It's quite a fascinating footage, so if you want to watch it, it will be available in the notes. So um, Kevin Berry, who is the head teacher, says that he has no explanation how anyone could have tricked him. He doesn't know how you could do a hoax like that, having no one in the corridors for many hours and then suddenly things moving. 
And he also said that he didn't have the skills himself to uh, change the footage from his video surveillance cameras. So it is what it is. You can watch it and just wonder. Unexplained, as I said. Now we take another plane and we fly down to um, a very tiny um, country in South Africa, and it's Swaziland. So in Swaziland, there is a school called um, Godjane Primary School. And in 2013, a female teacher refused to go back to work. And it was not because she was fed up with student behavior or workload. She said that she was attacked by evil spirits when she was at work. I don't think this excuse can work um, in many, many places, but... Anyway, another teacher also who was living on site refused to stay in his living quarters because he said he felt unsafe. So many colleagues um, were really shaken by this. Um, there was the example of Tulani Lamini, who said that he found four men entering uh, his room and they attempted to strangle him. But he was in his bed. And he doesn't know if it was real or a dream. Very strange. And now children also complained, particularly three girls who said that they were in the toilet when they heard someone talking from the toilet seat or from the toilet. Um, and parents and teachers were really skeptical of the girls, but then a lot of other children reported the same phenomenon. So was it just children making stories up or teachers wanting to change profession? Who knows? Now, as I said, it seems like there is a trend of haunting in modern school buildings. So it started in Japan and now you can see it's all over the world. It happens in Ireland, in Arizona and in Swaziland. But the question is not, is it true? Is it real? Is it happening? The question is, what does it do to people who experience it, whether it's true or not? So why do people tell ghost stories? Well, because we most, most of us suffer from phasmophobia. And if you don't know what phasmophobia is, it means a fear of ghosts, unless it's Casper and everybody likes Casper. But most of us do not really want to purchase a property if it's rumored to be haunted, unless you're a paranormal uh, researcher. People have a phobia of ghosts or spirits, and they usually sense a presence when they're alone. It's usually happening when people are alone. And the more they focus on that phasmophobia, the more they're likely to experience paranormal events. So for them, any noise, becomes the proof that there is something else with them. Every uh, white appliance that malfunctions is the proof that there is a paranormal activity. They feel watched. They feel um, that they are not alone in their rooms. And their sense of dread can be so debilitating and scary that it messes around with their necessary functions, such as sleeping, and people who are deprived of sleep are more likely to enter depression and suffer from anxiety. So what are the symptoms of phasmophobia? Well, people who have phasmophobia will avoid dark spaces in their house. 
They will avoid opening dark closets. They will avoid rooms if they're dark. They will avoid looking at through dark windows and they will be scared of dark spaces under beds or furniture. So that phobia can be something that people, not just children, experience. And then you have autophobia. Autophobia is when you're scared of being alone. So you should think that after the age of 10 or 11, children should grow out of autophobia. But many adults are not enjoying being alone, sometimes in their own home or sometimes at work. And I'm sure if you're a teacher, you will know that sometimes when you keep working late, after a parents' evening, etc., and you're walking alone in the corridors of an empty school, there is an eerie atmosphere that develops, whether you are a skeptic or not. So, autophobia is a fear that many of us have experienced. It is not just ghosts, it's just being alone. But it can also combine with phasmophobia. There's lots of different fears. The most common one for children is nyctophobia, fearful of nighttime, or acluophobia, what a dreadful word to pronounce, acluophobia, which is the fear of darkness. And um, you can also have skiophobia, which is the fear of shadows. So all these can be experienced together or separately. Whatever that means is that there's a ton of people out there who are actually suffering. They're suffering while alone, and they are suffering in their daily safe space, which is their home. So if you feel like you are scared of the dark, that you are scared of being alone, that you avoid being in some rooms in your own house because it's dark or because you feel uneasy, you might want to consult a doctor because people report experiencing shame of this fear of ghosts, phasmophobia, but this fear is very often irrational. So with help, people can overcome it. Um, it is an advice um, by um, the NHS. If you have very strong symptoms that produce intense fear and anxiety, and if it's affecting your sleep, you should wait and you should consult a specialist, a doctor or a GP, because sleep is the most important thing you need if you want to keep your mental health going. Now, don't despair if you suffer from nyctophobia, acluophobia, skiophobia, or phasmophobia, which is a nighttime fear, shadow fear, darkness, fear of darkness, and also, and also fear of ghosts. Because you can have cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and it's the most com common therapy treatment for phobias, including phasmophobia, the fear of ghosts. So if you are suffering from this, don't be shy and get some help because it's a very unpleasant place to be in. People with a fear of ghosts might experience panic attacks, difficulty sleeping alone, intense anxiety, intense sense of dread, they are not able to go to the bathroom at night and they can have urinary tract infections due to the fear of going to the loo. They are using avoidance of being alone. And then in the end, they can have drowsiness in a day. And if they're driving, this can be quite dangerous. And also a drop in productivity at work. So definitely, if phasmophobia is something that triggers a lot of reactions in you, you might want to get the help you need. 
The fascinating thing about paranormal events at school is that even children might complain from paranormal events in the school building that affects them and as a consequence, the whole school community. There is such a thing as toilet phobia. And it's not just the fact that toilets are usually loud and a bit dirty. It can also be because children are scared. There was a mum's net post in 2014 where a mum said she had an eight-year-old who was so scared of going to the toilet that she didn't want to go to school. And she developed a pain in her hips and tummy because she was holding on her urine too long. And she, she explained that she just felt that there was something that was paranormal in the toilet. So when you have students who are suffering to that stage, it's important to talk to them and maybe give them the words, tell them there is such a thing as phasmophoria and that there is help out there. So how can we examine ghost stories in an educational setting and in a pedagogical way? Well, it's really interesting because there is a case at King Edward's VI High School for Girls, which is uh, sixth form students, and they noticed that there was paranormal activity in their school building. They said that during um, COVID times, they were not using all the rooms because they wanted to avoid contamination. So they noticed there was lots of sounds coming from these empty rooms where no one was spending any time. It's an old building, built some of it in the 1930s in the arts and crafts style. And many people experience a very, very chill space in one room and a feeling of dread. And also, some girls had said that they could see people walking who shouldn't have been in the corridor outside, and they had no explanation of this vision. So what did the teaching staff do with these? They could have just ignored the students. No, they realized that they had something interesting, and they gave the students a project to do. They wanted them to study ghosts in literature, some of the most famous, like in Macbeth's or in Hamlet, the, the power of the apparition and premonition and etc. And um, they, they just gave them a school project and they even went as far as organizing a sleepover to do some paranormal studying. I think it's good to encourage that intellectual curiosity because it debunks the myth and it also reduces the fear. If you approach a paranormal belief with collaboration, an interest in learning, and a curiosity, a lit literary curiosity, you might avoid going into the fear and you might just make something positive out of it. Uh, it's interesting to, to see that um, was put in place in the King Edward's the Sixth High School for Girls. Now, let's um, take a moment with the news uh, to just absorb all this information and um, maybe just find out something scary afterwards. Are you looking for lesson planning materials to kickstart the new term? We've got you covered. 
The Day is a global online resource that turns the news into lessons. We're offering listeners a free resource on Andrew Tate that you can find on thedaynews.co forward slash Tate. Inspire personal development and critical thinking for your students by downloading the Tate Debate today and feel more confident addressing sensitive topics with your class. Visit thedaynews.co forward slash Tate to find out more. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. A record number of students from disadvantaged backgrounds have applied for the most selective UK university degrees, says a report on the BBC News website. The report is based on data released by the Universities and Colleges Admissions Service, known as UCAS. The students have applied to Oxford and Cambridge and for degrees in medicine, dentistry and veterinary science. UCAS Interim Chief Executive Sander Crystal described the applications, which have an October deadline, as encouraging. The Sutton Trust charity, however, said that the advantage gap had hardly shifted. The data is based on a participation of local areas measure, which splits students into five groups based on how many people aged 18 and 19 in their area go on to higher education. Those from areas where the fewest numbers of young people go to university are classed as the most disadvantaged. Applications for this group are up by 7% since last year, in contrast to the most advantaged areas, which is up by only 2%. However, the total number of applicants from the most advantaged areas is over 17,000, compared to a little over 3,000 from the most disadvantaged areas. Other key findings from October applications include a 6% increase in the number of UK applicants receiving free school meals, although the overall numbers of those receiving free meals is on the rise. A drop of 7% a year in 18-year-olds applying to medicine degrees and a slight drop in total numbers of international applicants. Education Secretary Gillian Keegan was in the news again this week as she told English schools that parents have a right to view the sex education materials which are being taught in schools. The announcement comes as the government is due to launch a public consultation into relationships, sex and health education. Guidance has been in place since the subject became compulsory in primary and secondary schools in September 2020. But Miss Keegan said she wanted to debunk the myth that parents cannot see what their children are being taught. Jeff Barton of Askell said he agreed with transparency on RSHE materials and that this is key but that sending the letter when some schools were on half term was slightly odd. The BBC also reports that Meta, the parent company of Facebook and Instagram, has been accused of misleading the public about the risks of social media and of contributing to a mental health crisis amongst youth. The claims were made in a federal lawsuit in the United States, 
but many in other countries will be following with interest. The lawsuit accuses the company of ensnaring users whilst concealing the substantial dangers of its platforms. It also said that the company had collected data on children under the age of 13 and that this breached the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. Meta is contesting the lawsuit and will likely present research it says shows that teens say social media actually helps them when they are struggling. It's not the first time social media companies have faced lawsuits, but it is the first time so many attorneys general, 33 in total, have signed such a suit. In addition to those already filed by families, young people and school districts. Those working with children and young people in the UK will undoubtedly be interested in the progress of the lawsuit. Dyslexia Scotland has announced on its website that former Strictly Come Dancing winner and Dyslexia Scotland ambassador Hamza Yassin will talk to an audience as part of Dyslexia Awareness Week Scotland. Yassin, who is dyslexic, became an ambassador for the charity earlier this year. He says he is passionate about sharing his story during events held in the first week in November. In a week where The Guardian reports that more than one million UK children experienced destitution last year, meaning their families could not adequately feed, clothe, clean or keep them warm, the BBC covered a story of a primary school in Peckham where most children are homeless. The school has nearly 300 pupils, all of whom receive free uniform, trips and meals. The school conducted a survey in which most families described themselves as living in non-secure tenancies. This can mean sofa surfing with friends, living in B&B accommodation or living in hostels. Parents of children at the school spoke positively about the support they received from the school, but also focused on the toll the uncertainty took on them and their children. Meanwhile, The Guardian tells of concerns expressed by poverty campaigners, teachers and welfare workers about the damaging effects of destitution, including physical ill health, mental illness, school absence and poor behaviour. Both articles can be found online and give more details on the latest findings. Finally, Schools Week reports that as many as one in 10 school workers had to wait over 60 days for DBS checks last year. A Freedom of Information request showed that 2.5% of those submitted took more than 60 days to complete, more than triple the rate in 2021-22. to Jeff Barton of Askell says it all adds to the pressure that school leaders and teachers face in recruitment and reflects the widespread underinvestment in public services. A spokesperson for the DBS said neither Ofsted nor the DV have raised any concerns about delays. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Thank you for listening to the news. So as I said earlier, we went on a world trip of um, school paranormal episodes from Tokyo to Arizona to Cork Island to Swaziland. And um, we started the podcast with um, the, the school in the UK, the Victorian school that you can all visit because it's open for um, visits, the George Jarvis School in Hertfordshire. But what I want to uh, finish on is that I did describe how um, the belief in the paranormal differs from person to person. Uh, you're least likely to have a high score of paranormal belief if you're highly educated 
you have more uh, chances of believing in uh, witchcraft if you're uh, African or African-American. If you're a woman, you're more likely to believe in um, ghosts. And if you're a man, more likely to believe in UFOs. And also some cultures are more skeptical than others. Chinese students, very a very low high a very low score of paranormal belief compared to other asian nations such as malaysian or uh, indian so it's really interesting to see how this is a universal thing paranormal events but the way we relate to it is different what i want to end up with is that um, the fear that is experienced by people who experience paranormal events is not to be dismissed whether the object of the fear is real or not, the person has suffered a shock or trauma. And a lot of people who've had a paranormal experience explain that they they have never been the same since and it changed their mindset and their world view and experience. So it is important to listen without judgment when people relate a paranormal experience. And if their mental health is affected, if their sleep pattern is affected, uh, they might need a medical help because sleep is really important and um, high level of anxiety are detrimental to mental health. If it's a student, you need to raise the alarm. And if they mention fear of using the toilet for whatever reason, this is something you should investigate as an educator. Now, we have a lot of ghost tours in major cities and emperor in London. This is something that is fun to do with friends. But let's also remind ourselves that in a lot of situations, paranormal um, events can also be a money-making scheme. And there is uh, Terence Hines, who was born in 1951 and is a professor of psychology at Pace University in New York. He's um, researched a lot um, phenom phenomenons, paranormal phenomenons, and he's the author of Pseudoscience and the Paranormal in which he's looking at what goes on in the United States with paranormal investigation, paranormal shows, etc. And he says um, that on a personal level, paranormal claims could be considered a form of consumer fraud because some people are, and I quote Terence Hines, induced through false claims to spend their money and often large sums on paranormal claims that do not deliver what they promise. So Terence Hines is warning us to keep um, a critical uh, look and outlook at paranormal belief systems because they can be damaging to society. Obviously, if you love going on a ghost tour for Halloween, feel free. But remember that if you ask to pay a lot of money because you believe your house is haunted or other such events, be really, really careful because we enter um, a domain which is basically a business. And paranormal business is actually big business. There's lots of people making lots of money. So in this Halloween term, I hope you enjoyed diving into the world of paranormal phenomena. It's fascinating on a cultural level, psychological level, and also literary level. We have all read books that had ghosts, vampires, werewolves, apparitions, shadow figures, uh, premonition, omen, intuition, deja vu, time glitches, etc. They're the common tropes of uh, a good book.
But it's good to uh, keep an open mind and to be interested in the paranormal as long as we make sure that it is done safely. So I hope you enjoyed this special Halloween podcast. If you have any paranormal events that you have experienced in a school building, please use uh, Twitter X to inform me at Prof Prof MFL. I would love to hear more. And also, if you want to watch the video of the Cork uh, Secondary School um, Paranormal Corridor, um, please check at Teachers Talk Radio website for the link to YouTube. Thank you very much for your attention. I hope you enjoyed the show and I wish you a lovely Halloween or spooky, shall I say. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.